0: 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 14 You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearer's. All right. well last week uh we we're talking about the temptation to be ashamed of jesus um, that is to, to distance ourselves from him and to distance ourselves from his teaching and and to hide our allegiance to him and when the world is vocally and and the world is overwhelmingly opposed to god and opposed to his word sometimes it's easier for us to say nothing and and uh, it's easier just to stay quiet rather than give our testimony and, and to let it be known that, hey, Jesus is my Lord and, and He's my everything. And today we're going to continue on with this same thought of, of suffering for the gospel. As we said last week, um, not suffering for the gospel is an anomaly. It's not normal. Um, throughout the ages, it has always been normal for Christians to suffer for their faith. And things in our nation now seem to be finally returning to normal, where once again in our culture, uh, Christians are starting to suffer for their their faith. As as our nation is becoming increasingly godless and as the population are becoming more and more anti-Jesus and anti-God's word, disciples of Jesus are going to suffer more for the gospel. We're going to see this happening. And so today we're having a word on enduring faithfulness. And the way Paul teaches, teaches this, it's not really good for, for preachers. Like preachers, we, we've had it drummed into us, you know, a, a good three-point sermon, that's the way to go. Um, it's not really good for preachers, this one, because he just comes with a heap of short, sharp, life lessons that, that explain and drive home the points that we need to know um, to help us to embody enduring faithfulness. So we're not going to have a three-point sermon today. I'm not going to tell you how many there are, um, but there's a lot of them, a lot of points, but they're going to come hard and fast. So because as disciples of Jesus, it's normal to suffer for the gospel, one, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. What do we think about when we think about being strengthened? Strengthened. Um, often when we're looking for strength, what we're looking for is power, right? Something so that we can have the ability to overthrow our oppressors. But that's not the way of disciples of Jesus. Our Lord is the one who will overthrow the enemy when he returns on the day of the Lord. But until then, we continue to be overcomers. How are we overcomers? By holding on to the faith. And what is this faith? We are strengthened by the grace that we've received and and we're strengthened by the grace that we are continue to have in Christ Jesus grace we might call it a lot of things but it's simply the unmerited favor of God Um, this is what strengthens us I didn't deserve it it's not my physical strength either that strengthens me you didn't deserve it and it's not your physical strength that strengthens you either Uh, none of us earned it Uh, We have been saved in Christ Jesus. It's a gift of God. Um, And this is what the grace of God is about. And we will be preserved in Christ Jesus. If God is able to save us, he will continue holding us. Uh, Even if we suffer, even if we die for our faith in Jesus, when he returns in all of his glory, he won't be ashamed of us. Um, And we will be there with him sharing in his glory. And so we are strengthened by this grace. What a wonderful encouragement that is. Is anyone encouraged by the fact that that we are strengthened by the grace of God? Good, four of you are. And one of you even put up your hands. Excellent. Two, entrust the gospel. Uh, What is the gospel? The gospel Paul tells us here, it's what he publicly taught in many places, right? He told everybody about Jesus, entrust the gospel to others so that they also can teach. Now, I was filling out some insurance paperwork the other day. Who likes doing insurance quotes and stuff? It's awful. I'm, I'm actually certain that all the insurance companies get together and say, you know what? We're going to ask so many questions that you're never want, going to want to renew, shift your insurance to someone else, and have to answer all these questions again. Um, but one of the questions they wanted to know um, was your computer backup regime. They wanted to know how often you back up your computer, and do you keep an offsite copy of your computer backup, right, somewhere else, and, and and at least weekly, do you keep that up to date? Now, the reason for this, of course, is in case a catastrophe happens, right, if malware gets onto a person's computer system and locks them out of the system, or if there's a fire and everything gets destroyed, or if a thief breaks in and steals all your computer equipment, will everything be gone forever? Or, um, so you're going to lose all your family photos, even. You're going to lose all of your records, um, Will everything be lost? Or is there another up-to-date copy somewhere? So this is called redundancy. If one component fails, there's another component that can carry on, right? So military jet fighters have multiple redundancies in every system, right? So if one wire is broken, that jet could crash. She's all over but there's multiple redundancies. There's probably at least three or four otherwise running in different parts of the aircraft that will help it to carry on operating. And and Paul is telling Timothy here that the Christian church needs redundancy, right? What he's saying is don't be the only person who knows the gospel. Don't be the only person who can teach the gospel. He's saying school up other faithful men who are able to teach. Now, I've told you before my aim, and I'm somewhat failing in this aim, although not completely, I'm also encouraged at times, but my aim as a teacher and a pastor in this church is to make myself redundant. If I die tomorrow, there needs to be other faithful men of God who are going to step up, that they're trained and ready to teach God's word. By the way, you don't have to wait until I cark it. Feel free to start sharing the word of Jesus with others today and tomorrow and the day after. Um, and, And as persecutions increase, this is going to be something which is really important for the Christian church to have this redundancy built in. Because as leaders in the church, as the preachers and the teachers are persecuted and imprisoned, there need to be others who can fill the gaps. And continue on teaching God's word and preaching God's word out into this world. um, And to proclaim the message of grace that we've received. Is there people who will do that? Three. Next he gives an example. It's an example of faithful endurance of a soldier. Now, of course, the the soldiers that Paul would have been most familiar with and probably very familiar with were the Roman legionaries. He was chained to, to them often enough. Now, the legionaries were the foot soldiers, right? So 80 legionaries would form what's called the century over which a centurion would command. And what made the Roman military such a formidable opponent was their training their defences, their discipline, and their overall method, their strategy, and the way they went about things. And part of that strategy was the legionaries did it tough. Right? They had such strict command over them that they had to do as they were told. And they did it tough. So sometimes uh, you might find a century of 80 men on a hard march deep into enemy territory. Now, whenever they are in enemy territory, Of course, on their march, they'd have to carry all their gear with them, and um, everything that they needed to fight with, everything they needed to sleep with, everything they needed um, to eat with, had to carry all of that with them, whether it be raining or whether it be snowing, and they'd march hard all day being pushed on by their commanders. Then as the sun went down, they'd pull up and make their camp. Now, it's not just a simple matter of rolling out your bed and having a snooze. If you're deep in enemy territory, it doesn't your day doesn't stop there. And so one of the things was that they would have to dig deep trenches of fortification around their camp. And the regulation trench that they would have to dig was two metres wide and one metre deep. And all of the dirt that they dug out, they would heap up into a mound on the, on the inside of the trench so that they could be up on the mound and fight against enemies who try to attack them during the night, they've got to climb up through this trench. Now, apparently it was about, if you had a group of 80 men, each man had to dig about two metres in length of that trench, so about four cubic metres of dirt. And they didn't have an excavator to do It could have been very hard soil if it was hard, dry ground or frozen ground sometimes imagine doing that you march hard all day and then have to do that before you can have feed and go to bed and then you'd get up the next morning and you'd leave all of that hard work behind knowing that the next night you'd have to do the same thing all over again it's not an easy life it was hard They, they bore many hardships as they did it and paul is saying to us as christians share in suffering as a good soldier of christ jesus in what way are we to serve as soldiers of Christ? We share in suffering. We share in, in physical hardships. We share in, in suffering as in, through persecution. But he says this also. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Right. So a soldier's full duty is to serve his country If anything else gets in the way of that, well, he's failed in his duty. And as Christians, our allegiance is to our Lord and our full duty is to serve our Lord. He suffered, we also should expect to suffer. And if anything in life hinders our true purpose, what's our true purpose? Following Jesus as his disciples. If anything in life hinders our true purpose, That's gotta be pruned away. Fourthly, he gives an example of an athlete. Now, an athlete does not win the prize if he breaks the rules. In recent years, there's there's been some prominent world champions who have been stripped of their prizes because it's been discovered that they were drug cheats for many years. Uh, And as Christians, we will not win the prize unless we keep the rules. What's the rule of being a Christian? Keep the faith. Keep following Jesus. Walk in the faith. And to walk in the faith means, hey, we're saved from sin, not to go on sinning, but to become holy and Christ-like as the Holy Spirit changes us and renews us. It's what we call sanctification. Five. The example of the farmer. The one who works hard has the first share in the crops. And as disciples of Jesus, when we stand firm in the faith, even through persecutions, that's the work we do, right? Standing firm in the faith. And when we continue to share the testimony of Jesus Christ, we will share in his glory. Now, some folk might have a bit of trouble with this verse. Right? As, as reformed evangelical Christians, uh, we want to be very sure that we guard against the thoughts of salvation by works. Um, you know, that, that means you know, oh, we, it's, some folk think that somehow they're going to earn their own salvation. Well, we know that that can't happen. But the problem is, some people so much want to guard any hint that we might be saying salvation by works that they spend a lot of time explaining passages like this one away. We're not going to do that because this was written for a reason. This was written to challenge us. We know that we're saved by grace. We've already talked about grace, it was our very first point. We're strengthened by grace. But something we need to remember is those who are saved by grace serve. And they work hard for the gospel, not to get saved, but because we are already saved. Now, I've noticed that when, we're, when it comes to farming, and let's think of farming families, sometimes the heir of the farmer, right, the farmer's son, when he starts working on the farm, sometimes he is the hardest worker of the lot. He'll work harder than any other employee. He'll get, he'll get in and do the hands-on stuff that nobody else wants to do. But then other times, you might see another son or another, another heir of the farm, and when they go to work on the farm, well, they're all very privileged, and they sit back and, and they often go away for an extended weekend jaunt Um, and just don't get back. And if there's hard jobs to do, oh, big job. We'll we'll leave that for the workers and I'll I'll hop on the air-conditioned tractor for a bit. Which one's the true son? Which one's the true son? Is it the one who diligently carries on his father's business? Or is it the freeloader who lives for his own pleasure? And as co-heirs of Christ, do we carry on our father's business of seeking and saving the lost? Or are we freeloaders who live for our own pleasure? Six, Paul says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In order to stand firm in the faith, we need to know what the faith is. So when when we're talking about the faith, it's not just having faith. And we talked about this last week. The faith is what, what we truly, what we believe in. What do we believe about Jesus? What has he done? And to know this, we, we need to be reading our Bibles. Do you regularly study God's word? Do you regularly read your Bible yourself? And when you do, Do you think about what God is teaching you in that? Now sometimes some of us we we might just read a little piece of the Bible and go, Oh, that's that's too hard. I don't get that. I'll I'll, I'll move on to something else that I do get. Or sometimes we might just read one verse and then go to the devotional book that's going to give us six paragraphs of, of a person's feelings or explanations. How do you read the Bible? I want you to know that if you desire to understand God's Word, you can understand God's Word. Because the Lord gives us understanding. This is a process that I use when I read the Bible. I reckon the first thing that I need to do, probably because I'm more sinful than you lot, but the first thing I need to do is empty out my own thoughts. Um, I want to empty myself of my own thoughts and my own fleshly cravings. That, that want to bump, pump Michael up and, and want to make Michael feel good about himself or whatever and and then read God's word from that point and then think on it and pray about it and then read it again and think on it and pray about it some more and then read it again and then think about it and pray about it some more and you know what happens? God starts giving understanding and we shouldn't be surprised about that because we're told here that God does give us understanding. Paul's talking, of course, about what he's telling Timothy. Now, I know there's one spot where somebody says that, you know, the things of Paul, they're really hard to understand. I can't remember where that is. I'd have to look it up. Sorry, Peter. That's right. Peter says, yeah, yeah. Paul's stuff, it's pretty useful, but he's really hard to understand. Yeah, sometimes it is. But what he's saying here is keep thinking about it. Keep praying about it, and you will gain understanding. Seven, keep the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ at the centre. Verse eight says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Jesus is the Christ. We we tend to think of Christ as um, his second name, his surname, but what it is, is it's designating who he is. He is the Christ. It literally means that he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. Not only that, he's also of royal lineage. He, he's the offspring of, of King David. A pretty important bloke. The anointed one of God. Coming from the royal line of David. But you know what? He was crucified. See, To be chosen by God, that doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. But it means that we will be blessed. We will be blessed in sharing in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. If Christ suffered, yep, expect that we'll suffer too. If Christ was raised, we will be raised too. Eight. Even if the preacher is bound, the word of God is not bound. One of of the amazing things that we see happening even in our world today is some of the places where where the church is growing the fastest is in the place where they are trying the hardest to stifle the gospel message. Um, It's always been the case that the persecuted church has more growth. Now, I don't know why that is. Um, so I, I suspect it's probably because all those who aren 't truly disciples of Jesus that they, they, they don't want to be part of a Christian church, and so you 've only got the true faithful there. Maybe that's it I don't know. But what we do know is what it tells us here is that even when the preacher gets bound, god 's word won't be bound um, so Paul's been saying that he preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's his gospel. He says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Can you imagine what, what Paul would be doing in the jail? He'd be preaching to his fellow prisoners. He'd be preaching to the, to the ones who are overseeing the jail. And of course we see that, people being changed through this. Nine, bear suffering for the sake of the elect who have not yet heard. In his grace, in his mercy, God has chosen to save. In other passages, we, we, talk about, we hear about predestined. He has predestined us before the ages began. Now, some folk, get themselves all befuddled in this and their theology takes them places that scripture does not and they come to the conclusion okay if God is going to save whom he chooses then I really don't have to do anything about it what an absolute nonsense because the word of God is not bound Paul then says therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What he's saying is because God chooses to save, we endure suffering for the sake of those who are yet to hear. That's why Paul's in prison, because he couldn't stay silent. It would have been very easy for him to say, like people would have been saying to Paul, oh, you don't, you don't really need to be going on about this. If you just quieten it down a bit and, and, stop telling, and stop stirring up so much trouble, it's going to be a lot safer for you. But he couldn't do that. That's why he's in prison, because he couldn't stay silent. It's not those who are scared into silence who are going to help those who are not yet saved. It's those who endure for the sake of Christ and for the sake of those who have not yet heard, we keep on testifying for Jesus. 10, death in Christ equals life in Christ. Now, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. Yeah, whenever he says trustworthy saying, he's saying, right, you can hang your hat on this, right? Um, some people wonder, what, what's the bush disciple symbol about? Why have we got a hat hanging on the cross? Well, you know, they're all saying, you can hang your hat on this, right? You can trust in this. This is, this is, this is everything that, that we depend upon, the cross of Christ, right? Now, so Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. You can hang your hat on that. You can trust in this. But what does that mean? What does it mean to die with Christ? Now, some commentators say it's talking about martyrdom. Right? So if we're killed because of our faith in Jesus, that's okay, because we'll be raised to eternal life with him. Other commentators like to think about the theology of baptism. So in baptism, the old man is killed dead, buried. I hope you understand that. When you become a Christian, you're not the same person anymore. Some folk have the impression that becoming a Christian means we just add a bit of Jesus to our life. It's nothing of the sort. Our old life is put to death and we're raised anew in Christ and we become alive in Christ. So what's he talking about? Martyrdom or baptism? Well, it's both, of course. It's both. I've already died. I have already laid my life down. How can I take it back again? How can I take my old life back up again? And so when we suffer for the gospel, this isn't a new thing. This is something that that we decided when we gave our lives to Jesus. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, not just his disciples, he said it to the crowds, whoever's going to come after me has to be prepared to take up his cross to follow me. Right? This is a condition of becoming a disciple of Jesus. We already lay our life down. We've already given up our life. And we live it for him and we die it for him. Not die it as in. Die our lives for him. Eleven. If we endure with Christ, we will reign with Christ. Now, the non-offensive version of the gospel that's pretty popular today, um, the non-costing prosperity gospel, that it, it's that gospel that is so appealing to the selfish human nature. It might talk a lot about reigning, but it doesn't talk much about enduring. And so the, the, the popular gospel these days is all about blessings now It's about having good times now. It's about getting your promotions now. It's about getting your money now. It's about having success now. And and we are kings. We reign now. But God's word tells us that if we endure now, if we endure hardships now, and when he talks about enduring, he's talking about persecution. If we're enduring persecutions now, when he returns as king, That's when we reign with him. Twelve. The flip side of this is denial equals denial. And last week we we looked at what Jesus had to say about this. In Luke chapter 9, he said, "For, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And we looked a bit wider last week. Now, some, some people's theology uh, force them to try and explain this sort of stuff away. Uh, there, there's a belief which is known as once saved, always saved, uh, that says, no matter no matter what, once you've become a Christian, um, you can never turn your back on Jesus again. You can never lose your salvation. Now Anyone who believes in once saved, always saved is going to have a lot of trouble with what this verse is saying. It says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, that's pretty clear. And you have to do some pretty big hermeneutical gymnastics to try and fit that the idea of once saved, always saved. Um, And we're not going to do that. So we come to verse, sorry, point 13. And of these three statements that we've just had, um, the faithfulness of God means this is sure. All right? so, so what are these three, three points? If we've died with him, we will also live with him. You can be sure of that. You can be sure of the faithfulness of God. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. You can be sure of that. You can be sure of the faithfulness of God. He's true to his word. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. And you can be sure of that. You can be sure of the faithfulness of God and sure of his word. Verse 13, 13 if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, so we're being told here that God remains Faithful. That means that God is true to his word. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. Do you believe that? Yeah. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you believe that? Yeah. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Do you believe that? And some people go, oh, no, no. Yeah, God is true to his word. See, if I was to accept the teaching of men, that, that once saved, always saved, so that you, you can never be lost again, that, that's really to fall into a self-confidence trap, just like what Israel did. When, when God said to Israel through, through his prophets, turn away from worshipping idols, and start living justly. And if you don't, I'm going to bring upon you all of the curses that I promised I would. But essentially Israel said, nah, we're the chosen people of God. We have a covenant with God. He'll never do that. But they're missing the point. The part of the covenant was, if you remain faithful, and if you live justly, you will be blessed, and you will continue to live in this land that I've given you but if you don't, then you'll be cursed and I will drive you out of this land that I've given to you. That was the covenant of God. And so they broke the covenant, but God kept his covenant and that's why they're driven out. And we see it again when Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees. They too were very confident as their position as the children of Abraham. And to be the children of Abraham, they're the children of the covenant, you see. But Jesus said, Abraham, he's not your father your father's the devil, the father of lies. See, they had broken the covenant. And biblically, it's clear that the new covenant in Christ Jesus works in a similar way. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. This is the graciousness of God. But we also have a part to play in the covenant, just as the people of Israel had a part to play in the covenant. What is that? What's our part to play in the covenant? To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to believe in Jesus, it's not just a once off thing that can't be undone. Um, It's not a thing where I, I, I believe in him today and I trust in Jesus today and I follow Jesus today and then I turn my back on him tomorrow. To believe in Jesus means I have to keep on believing. So for example, the most quoted Bible verse, um, most of you will know it, John 3.16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Does it ring true if I say whoever used to believe in him? or whoever once believed in him. See, in the Greek, believes is a verb, present, active, right? It, it is a better translation would to say that whoever is believing in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This same Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my words, I'll be ashamed of them. And when it says that he cannot deny himself, that means that he cannot go back on his words. He cannot go back and say, I didn't really mean that if if you're ashamed of me, I'll, I'll be ashamed of you. Of course he meant it. But I want you to also hear this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Uh, Now, what does it mean for God to remain faithful? Well, yes, it means that he's true to his word. You can trust in his word. But it also means this. When someone mucks you about, how many chances are you willing to give them? Are you a free strikes and you're out sort of person? The disciples, they thought that they were being really extravagant when they said, seven times, Jesus, seven times, that should cover it. Or maybe it might be, a, you get one chance, buddy. Right? You fail me once and I'll take my business elsewhere. Or um, you let me down and I'll, I'll go and find another friend. Thank you very much. Peter denied Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus on a very important night, the night before Jesus was crucified. But even though Peter was faithless, Jesus remained faithful, which meant the faith of Peter could be restored. And his faith was restored. When Peter saw Jesus on the beach after the resurrection, He jumped out of the boat with all his clothes on and he swam ashore. He swam back to Jesus. And you remember the conversation there. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, I love you, Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. And then after that, Jesus said, follow me. That was Jesus saying, your faith is restored. Follow me. And here's the good news. Sometimes we've been faithless. or At least I have, as you all know, I'm more sinful than the rest of you. Sometimes I've been faithless. Sometimes I've let Jesus down. But it is only the end if we let it be the end. God is looking for faithful endurance, and that might be a new thing for us to express. And if faithful endurance doesn't describe what my walk with Jesus has been up until this point, things can change. Things don't need to stay the same. Faithful endurance can begin this day because he remains faithful. And finally, number 14. There you go, you know how many points there are now, 14. departure from this and into arguing over words ruins the hearers of the gospel. Verse 14 says, remind them of these things. What things? All of the stuff that he's just been talking to us about, the blessings of faithful endurance and basically the tools that he's given us to to, to live out faithful endurance. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Whenever a person's theology, what's what's theology? Yeah, some folk they, they hate the word theology, they think, oh, it's what all those academics go on about. No, theology is the study of God. It's what we believe about God. Right? So we're doing theology now. Every time you read the Bible, you're doing theology. Every time you look at God's creation and you go, "Wow, isn't it amazing what God has done?" you're doing theology. But whenever a person's theology, whenever what they believe about God forces them to shape and mold what the scriptures are saying so that it will fit their theology, that's a disaster. It's literally a catastrophe. The Greek word here for for, for ruin is katastrophe. It means total ruin. It's a total upending. It's pretty much the same word that describes what Jesus did to the tables of the money changers. He overturned them. And to quarrel about words, that just destroys the people of God. To quarrel about words as, as opposed to accepting what the word of God says totally upsets the apple cart. So let's never argue about words. And let's never try to shape the scriptures to fit what we believe about God. It's supposed to be the other way around. The scriptures, in all of their beauty and in all of their truth, are supposed to shape what we believe about God. And in this case, the scriptures have taught us how to live in a world where Christians are not very popular. They're teaching us how to live in a world where Christians can and will be persecuted. And we do this with enduring faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that even when we have been faithless, you remain faithful. It's rather confronting that you are true to your word, that, that if we deny you, you will deny us, but it is also a great comfort that you are true to your word. That when we endure, we shall reign, and that if we die with you, we will live. But Lord, we know there have been times when we have not endured and we've not been faithful Lord, forgive us. But Lord, with this forgiveness, we don't want you to just take that away and leave us the same. We ask that you would renew us and change us by your Holy Spirit and that in your grace that you would strengthen us and that you would strengthen our faith and you would strengthen our love and you would strengthen our our hopeful expectation of your return. As we pledge to follow you, Lord, prepare us for enduring faithfulness. No matter how slack we've been in the past, give us this enduring faithfulness from now on, we pray, to your glory. Amen.